And I share in my book that amongst the cufflinks and, and watches and shoelaces and, and jewelry and everything else that we can accessorize ourselves with, the greatest accessory we can ever give ourselves is confidence. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Sean Ireton with the New Inspiration Extraordinary Gentleman podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest. I'm super excited about this guy coming on. His name is Michael Ferreira, and he is a fashion designer. He's an author, a speaker. And I met this guy actually through a uh, networking app. It's called Shaper, S-H-A-P-R. Um, you could actually probably connect with him there. Um, but uh, I was swiping through some people and um, trying to find connections and meet some new people and Michael came across and I thought he looked pretty cool. So it's to give you some context here, it's like Tinder, but it's for networking and business and things like that. So um, I connected with him there. We started a conversation, got to know each other a little bit, and then we actually had some coffee um, and got to know each other a little bit further. And And during this process of having coffee with him, getting to know him a little bit, I was like, you know what? He'd be a great person to have on the show with all everything that he's he's done and everything that he's accomplished. I thought he would be a great person to have on and provide you guys, the listeners, some value here. Um, so like I mentioned, he's a fashion designer. He's an author. He's a speaker. And what I'm going to have him do today is kind of go over his origin story. He's got a book out. I wanted him to talk about that. And then we're going to be talking about character and charisma and through that defining how a gentleman in 2018 should act in his business and in his social life. And then we're also going to go over some actionable insights for you to put into practice starting today. So I want to briefly go over Michael's origin story now and then I'll let him kind of introduce himself and go from there. So Michael's origin story, he uh, his mom was actually the biggest inspiration for dressing well. And I remember when he and I were chatting about that, he told me she was a uh, etiquette and manners coach. So a lot of that influence comes down on him from her. He went to UC Riverside to study business economics. His biggest goal was to run his own fashion company. And he studied fashion at Los Angeles Trade Tech. And he left his role as a financial planner and advisor to start Michael Ferreira Custom Clothing. And he's been working one-on-one -on -one with celebrities and athletes ever since. So please help me in welcoming Mr. Michael Ferreira himself, fashion designer extraordinaire. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for being on the show, man. My pleasure, Sean. Thanks again for that, that introduction. And, and I truly appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So yeah, let's uh, let's jump into your origin story, man. I, I want to start with that experience that you had with your mom at a young age. Um, I found you on the Black Men Dossier channel on YouTube, and I watched that video with you. And you mentioned that your mom at a very young age influenced you and your siblings. How many siblings do you have, by the way? I have two younger brothers. I'm the oldest. Okay, nice. Um, so she imparted upon you and your siblings this idea of dressing well and making sure that you looked fresh before leaving the house. Yeah. Uh, did you ever feel uncomfortable with dressing well or did you ever get bullied for dressing well? I'm curious. Yeah, you know, very interesting uh, to, to, to bring that up and to start. And, and as we uh, 
you know, prior to get into it, I wanted to just touch on some of the things that 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 I like really briefly. Um, I like the fact that that you you're, you're great on follow up, and I like that you clarified the Shaper app. Shaper, I think the easiest way to share it is you know Tinder for business, and it sounds awkward at first, but you know Shaper is a, a really cool and interesting space because it is intentionally business. Uh, from my experience using it for almost a half a year now, is that it is business, nothing awkward, nothing out of the ordinary or strange or weird or spooky that happens is is deliberately business. So which is one of the reasons why I stay connected there and, and, and why I was really uh, open to, to connecting and learning more. And, and in my opinion, it just opens the door for new relationships, just as we're seeing now. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that and, and offer that to to, to to your listeners and, and insight in regards to Shaper. So. Coming back to to what you just mentioned in regards to uh, in regards to growing up and in, in fashion and style, and interestingly, yes, it was it was kind of interesting and weird at sometimes. And 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 what we know that is cool now to have custom clothes or clothes that are made for you. We had that when we were young, you know. So we would get made fun of simply because our mom would make our clothes or our parents would make our clothes. And for me. In my family, it, it was the norm. My family's not from, from America. My, my parents come originally from Central America, Belize. And it was the norm to have clothes made, you know, or go to the tailor or the, the cobbler for shoes. And everything is normal there. You, it's standard to have custom. But when you come to the U.S., you know, normally I was, I was born in the United States, I should say. But when my parents came to the U.S., they still had their traditions and their values and the things that they've always done from birth and, and growing up. So they carried that over. My mom used to sew and, and, and was a seamstress and would make a lot of our clothes. And, and I was tall as a kid, so I would outgrow clothes really easy. So she would actually make, you know, pants and, and sweatsuits and, and, and simple stuff that we could wear to school in grade school for that matter. And we would get made fun of because like, oh, your mom made your clothes and ha 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 he he. But, <laughs> but on the grand scale of thing, when you think about it, like that's cool. You know, and as a kid, you don't you don't really appreciate that because you, you want the name brand, you want the the newest, the hippest, the coolest, the freshest, and what everyone else is wearing. But nowadays, it's it's very much more accepted to to want to wear custom clothes and your own unique thing. So so yeah, it was kind of strange at times knowing that I had to say like you know my parents or my mom made my clothes, and uh, but but as you get older, you come to appreciate it and respect it much more than if you bought a sweatshirt or a Nike t-shirt or any other brand type of t-shirt from, uh, from off of the rack. So that's cool. And so at what point with that, did you realize that this experience excited you? Like what, what about like getting these custom clothes and then at what age were you like, you know what, this is, this is pretty cool. I really like this. Right. Yeah. It, it, it hit me. It started to become more acceptable and like more, more resounding to me when I was in, I guess, middle school and middle school in California is plus or minus like seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. And at seventh or eighth grade is when I really started to enjoy fashion. Uh, and I started to really appreciate it when we were when we were younger, regardless of, of even if our clothes were made or if we bought things from the store. My mom was very intentional on, on making us being clean, uh, decent, uh, uh orderly, proper shirt tucked in, shoes are clean, shoes laced, all the above. And, and I can remember numerous times 
you know, during my childhood when my brothers and I and, and my one brother who's, who's closest in age to me, we, we literally would destroy clothes. Like we were we were boys and, you know, we would get the Easter outfit and the Easter outfit would not make it home. It would be, <laughs> you know, it would be knees torn, elbows ripped, buttons, bow ties destroyed, all the above. And my mom was like, what are you what are you doing? It was literally an Easter outfit. And that's it. <laughs> it. There's no other time that you're wearing that outfit except at that time. And this has happened on multiple occasions, a friend's house, a cousin's house, a relative's house where we have a, a new outfit or whatever it is. And we would just destroy the outfit just because we were guys and. Boys, you know, love to play in dirt and the, and yeah. the list goes on. And, and I can I can distinctly remember multiple times where we're, we're going somewhere or going to another location and those clothes come off and new clothes go on simply because my mom and my parents didn't want us out or looking raggedy or unorganized in any fashion. So I can intentionally remember like clothes being, okay, these clothes come off, they go away and they never come out again or, or trash or whatever it may be and new clothes go on because that's just how my, my mom was she wanted us to always look proper and and in order and well-dressed and, and well-mannered growing up at all times so in, in 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 about seventh or eighth grade really is when I started to embrace like oh I like dressing well I do I, I enjoy dressing up I don't mind wearing a tie I don't mind wearing a suit Etc. I always enjoyed shoes. I started collecting sneakers uh, when I was probably about what's the, maybe about fourteen, not even fourteen, maybe about thirteen, fourteen. I started collecting shoes, and, and I still do to this day. And I always wanted my shoes to be clean, fresh. Uh, I, I would, it was very rare that I would wear the same shoe every day. And some of those things came from you know my mom at a young age, but. About seventh and eighth grade is when it really when I started to embrace it and started to accept the fact that fashion is cool and there's there's nothing wrong with a guy loving fashion and a, and a male embracing style and color and charisma and and being being creative in the way that we dress and and that progressed and continued till when I was a sophomore in high school really at a sophomore in high school when I started driving. That summer, I was very clear that I wanted to do something related to fashion. If it was at a large fashion house uh, or running my own company as a fashion designer, but that was always the end goal to run my own company as a fashion designer. And it was very clear to me early at about age 15, 16, and all the steps that I took from college and business and, and economics and finance, all those things led to eventually coming back to to, to running a clothing company in fashion. I know you and I are both kind of hip hop heads. Did you ever go through that like tall T phase and wear some like Jabot jeans and stuff like that? Did you ever do that? Cause I know I went through a tall T phase for a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we all did, you know? And, and, and I love the fact when, when we connected, that was a really, really exciting part to hear, uh, hear about your love for hip hop. And yeah, we all had it, you know, including me. And we, we definitely wore all of those brands. And that was actually one of the biggest kickers for me, you know? And I, and I distinctly remember, I, I actually remember the outfit clear as day. And that, that made me shift. I was, I was wearing a Rego sweatsuit, some Perry Ellis denim and original Ken Griffey Jr., teal sneakers i want to say the second edition i was very clear on the outfit and 
even though I loved those those brands and what they were doing, I was like, I had a new outfit, new shoes, new jeans, new sweatshirt, and I was walking on campus. And one thing that I used to do that was awkward when I was a kid is when I had new clothes and new shoes or new something, I would show up to school late just so everybody could see me walk into the, <laughs> to the classroom and, 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 and see my, my new shirt or new shoes or whatever. So shameful now that I think about it today. But, <laughs> but yeah, I used to show up late so everybody could see my new outfit. And I remember clear as day when I got this new outfit that I just shared with you, I walked into class or even on campus, it was prior to class, I walked on campus and I was like, this is, this is so not cool. Like anybody could go out and buy this exact same sweater, this exact same pair of jeans and these exact same pair of shoes and be exactly like me. And there's no uniqueness or creativity to it. And then it was very clear to me that I was like, man, I want to create my own fashion, my own style, my own type of wares that not only for me, but maybe I could encourage or help or inspire somebody else that may not have that creativity or that that uniqueness or the boldness to go out and do it. It was very clear on that moment. I was like, man, I want to make my own designs. I want to make my own clothing line and clothing brand and build from there because it was just, it was just so mundane. And I was like, man, there's nothing unique about this. Anybody can do exactly what I'm doing and exactly like me. And I didn't think that was cool. You know, and it brought me back to that, I guess, elementary grade school days to where we had, custom stuff which we didn't you know think of it that way it was just stuff that your mom made but when we had unique and personalized stuff no matter how how creative it was no one could have it because it was made for me you know and now that's that's what made it cool and at that moment I, I remember clear as day that that's the moment when I knew I wanted to be a fashion designer and everything else I still enjoyed you know, uh, uh, Rockerware and, and Fubu and all those things. I respected those brands and I continued to wear them, but I was very clear that it's not me wearing them for wear, but wearing me for learning. Like I learned like, okay, they do this. This is cool. I could do this and this will be different or cooler or something special about it other than just wearing it like everybody else. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Entrepreneurship right there is, is looking at the market, seeing what companies are doing what they're not doing and then trying to fill the gap where they're not doing something. So yeah. yeah, that's, that's really cool. Like you were starting to become an entrepreneur before you even knew what an entrepreneur was. Right. right. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I didn't, I didn't know the term and I like that you said that I, we knew of it and, and growing up that's, that's all that I knew was businesses and my grandfather and my, my father. And I started my first business when I was in, in high school and, and the reason why I love so much of that at Wear is because I actually was a DJ. I, I DJed and I started a DJ company when I was 14 years old. And, and I loved hip hop and still love hip hop to this day. An interesting space and love that I have with hip hop now, but it's a whole nother conversation. But, uh, yeah. but, yeah. but, but I loved hip hop because I did it. I lived it. You know, uh, I DJed parties on Saturdays, Sundays, and sometimes holidays. And it was just really cool and fun you know, being in that space and, and, and running a company. I didn't know. I thought I was just doing it for fun, but I was also very clear that I was generating money. Some of my friends and, and schoolmates that were working jobs at Baskin Robbins or, 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 or standard uh, fast food places or wherever else that they would do, I, I would work for two days and generate all that revenue in high school 
just off of two parties on the weekend. And that was fun to me, you know, and I, I believe like those simple type of endeavors and entrepreneurship experience allowed me to do some of the things that I do now in my clothing line and go to higher levels. But those are just simple foundation and quite frankly, learning experiences that allow me to do more in the fashion space when I started taking that more seriously. Yeah. So um, just real quick, what I, um, what I, what I was going to say here is that more, the more I speak to you, the more I hear so many parallels between mm. you and I and how many things you and I have in common, because you mentioned your father and your grandfather being yeah. business owners. My grandfather, uh, he's alive still, but um, he's, he's retired. He was an insurance agent for state mm. farm and here's where he was entrepreneurial. He was, um, he was an agent for state farm and he had, he had his own agency on the main street of the hometown mm -hmm. that I grew up in. And, uh, he was the insurance agent. It's like everybody went to him. He was, he was the guy to go to. Uh, but the reason that he was so entrepreneurial was because not only was he smart about sales and, uh, servicing people and helping people out with, with their insurance, but he owned mm -hmm. the building that his agency was in. And he also owned, uh, the other half of the building that a florist wow. shop was in. So, and state farm rented the building from him because he right. was the building owner. So he was wow. like triple dipping. So he was getting commission off of, uh, uh insurance, and then he was getting the rent money for the building from two businesses. So he was making good money. And my grandmother too, actually, um, she deserves credit because she was very, very helpful in that, in that whole space. They worked in the office together. She worked on claims and stuff like that, whereas he worked on just bringing in new customers right. and servicing people. Um, their whole office ran really, really well. And then my father, um, he, he did, um, house painting for like 20 years, owned his own business doing as a house painter. Um, so it's cool to, to, to think about that. And, uh, it's funny that to kind of give my origin story a little bit here too, is that when I was eight years old, my grandmother bought me my first suit Yeah, and, uh, it was, it was the coolest thing. Cause I, I think you and I talked about this before that That's right. I'm a huge That's right. James Bond fan, right? Likewise you know, myself. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> coolest, coolest man on earth. And, um, you know, that's, that's a big influence that I can tell it was on you and me. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, that, we had a full like discussion on that James Bond uh, top, you know, and, and I, yeah. I, there was a moment, you know, because James Bond started before I really could get to the point where to appreciate it. And just short story, like I remember, right. uh, you know, in high school and college, like going back and like watching the old ones just so I could learn and, you know, seeing like the the evolution, in my opinion, of James Bond and, you know, certain things are standard, like the car standard, you know, like, like the suit is standard, right, like right. regardless of what it is, like certain <laughs> things are just always cool. Yes, James Bond will continue to evolve and, and new technology and creativity and all that. But certain things like the suit is going to be awesome. The car is going to be awesome. Thirdly, the, I guess the girl is going to be awesome at the, for whatever time or reason it is, too. So I just always love James Bond for those aspects. You know? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, what I, that's great because I'm, I'm glad we touched on that because that leads yeah. me right into your book. Um, because James Bond is, is a quintessential gentleman. I mean, he's a player, but, um, there are some elements of what he does that Absolutely. is very gentlemanly. Absolutely. Um, so 
So let's let's talk about the book, man. So uh, for the listeners, the book is called The Perfect Gentleman's Pocket Guide, Modern Secrets to Etiquette, Style, and Charming Charisma. Um, what made you want to write this book? Why did you do it? Absolutely. It was, man, I, I think about it and I, and I look off because it, it's exciting to remember the journey. And, and that's one thing that I always try to remember as an entrepreneur, you know, even even doing this for 10 plus years as a fashion designer and author and speaker, you know, we learn things, you know, whether it's in year one or year 10, I'm always learning. And I, I paused at the beginning because I remember when I first started writing this book, I published this book 2012, if I'm correct, maybe 13. And I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it was an idea. It was an idea to, to, to write a book and, what was what was happening is I was speaking at a lot of universities and, and corporations on image and style and the importance of color and, and presentation on how it can enhance your sale, how it can enhance your, your banking business or your real estate business and how improving your image can attract more uh, women to your life and attract more of whatever you want. If it's, if it's relationships, if it's, if it's business, if it's uh, uh, whatever it may be, you know, your style and image and colors that you wear can actually enhance those opportunities. And I wrote the book because I was getting these speaking engagements and I couldn't always be there. And the book was another opportunity for me to be present and not be present. And also another way to just share my talents and insight with the world and the public and the communities that I was serving. So I wrote the book for that yeah. reason. It, and it's valuable in my opinion it's, it's a timeless piece. You know, I think this will probably always be the original. I will have some follow-up books to it in the series, The Perfect Gentleman, uh, uh, College and, and Youth and some other ideas that may come up. But The Perfect Gentleman's Pocket Guide, the original version, I think will be the foundational piece, you know, that is always a go-to on insights. And, and I wanted to make it easy because I was raised by an etiquette coach and my mother on manners and style and eating with a fork and knife at age seven and age eight. It was so corny and cheesy and, and, and I hated it and manners and yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. And being in California where we're so casual and, 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 and talking and respecting elders and standing up when a lady leaves the table and awkward stuff like that, that is just not the norm. Unfortunately, I thought it was just so corny and cheesy when I was growing up. But after I became an adult, when I left college and I was a professional working, going to dinners, going to lunches, going to galas, going to events where I've seen, you know, adult, adults and children and other people from all, all regions, you know, you know, un unfortunately, not 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 displaying or knowing, you know, some of the things that, that I believe are, are the norm and, and the appropriate and the proper things to do at a dinner or at a gala or whatever it may be. It just was a eye-opening experience to me. And I was like, thank you. You know, thank you to my parents that they put me in a position to know these things. And for whatever reason, some people may not have that opportunity simply because, you know, parents may pass away, may not be available, may not know themselves. Whatever reason it may be, I was still grateful that I had that foundation on the insight to do it. And now I'm a strong believer of giving, you know, whether we give time or money or resources or information or relationships, whatever it is. And the information that we have, and, and this is what you do too, Sean, it's you're giving information through your podcast, through your works, through your endeavors, through your relationships. 
it's it's giving. And I was very clear on that. And if the information that I have on etiquette, on style and fashion, I could bottle it up and say, I'm the coolest guy in the room and I know more than you and I'm I'm fancier dressed than you or not dressed better than you. But that that would give me no fulfillment, you know, and that it doesn't allow me to be valuable. You know, we're not in this world to be silos or to be only better for yourself. You want to be better so that you can better other people and you want other people to be better so they can better me. And and it's a circle that we can, you know, impact and inspire and encourage one another. So the book came about is like, I have to give this. I have to give this. You know, I have to be able to tell other people. And there's there's hundreds of other books on it uh, related to etiquette and style. And the reason what that allowed me to continue to write my book is one, I did it in a more, more, uh, creative and fun way, and in my opinion, a very simple way. I don't think in, in the things that I've read, I've read 500 paid etiquette books. I've read 300 paid etiquette books and 200 paid books on, on manners and, and so forth. But I don't think you need that to be a gentleman. I think that if you have the information and you know how to apply it immediately, that's when you can be a gentleman and be valuable to the people that you're around. So rather than Rather than writing another 500-page book or encourage people, there's this 500-page book that was written 40 years ago. Go read that. We don't read 500-page books nowadays. It just doesn't happen. You know, either you you get in the audio form and you listen to that, or you just don't read it. It's just really hard to read a 500-page book. You skim it or cliff notes or or something else. So I wanted my book to be simple, easy, and effective. And we talk about all the, the the topics that related to a man from 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 dating, first first date, second date, third date, those are all different engagements to to marriage and 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 and, and breakups and makeups and, and sex and, and and alcohol and everything that is related to a gentleman and how a gentleman should be in life's most awkward situations. That's what we talk about. You know, fashion, style, socks, shoes, black shoes or brown shoes and and red shoes and blue shoes and what works with different. And we wanted to make it simple. I wanted to, to create the book to where you can flip through, look at an index, look at a glossary, go here, go to a page, get what you need and get back to life. Not necessarily. So yes, it is a book that you want to read through one time, but it's more of a book that you want to glance at, get information and go do it. You're going on a second date or a first date, go to that section, read that, right. know the information and go on a date. You know, you're going to a job interview, go to that section, look at the style, the color, the etiquette and the fashion, get the information and then go on the interview. You don't need to read a 500 page book for it. I wanted to make it simple, easy and effective. Do you talk about uh, fashion trends um, and not necessarily what trends to follow, right? But more like, are you thinking about what makes something timeless versus not timeless? Because I know that the book, the book came out in 2012 and fashion was not super different, but it was a little bit different. So do you, for the people who are listening that want to check out the book, do you think that the book is, is going to hold up over time? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, and it, I was very intentional on that. And and one thing that I do a lot on my social media and Instagram and, and Facebook is I'm very clear. And, and I, I think I just posted it this week. Fashion and trends change, but style should evolve. So it's so important to, to focus on style because trends will come and go. You know, colors will, will come and go that are trendy. But style is, you know, how you wear it, how you put everything together, the combinations of the ties and the pocket squares and the socks or the jeans and the T-shirt and the elongated tees and, 
and the blazers and the jackets and the hats. That style, how you put everything together, that style. And trends always change. So I don't talk a lot on trends, and I'm very clear on that even to this day. And in the process of, of writing some of my other content on, on the essentials of dressing, those things will be timeless. And the book is a timeless piece. Absolutely. We, we, we mentioned that trends will come and go. I'm very clear on that. But it's important to understand style and how you make yourself unique and, and, and how, you, how you dress and how you present yourself to the world. So not, not very big on trends. It's important to know them, know what's, in, know what's happening, be current. And, and be in line, but always be clear on the style that you have and the persona that you're bringing and stay true to that. That's more important than being the coolest, the trendiest and the hippest. Right, right. Yeah, because I mean, I've seen guys who wear something that's really old school, but they they understand the basic concepts of different patterns and stuff that worked well together. They're just wearing outdated patterns. They're wearing outdated lapel widths. They're out wearing... Mm-hmm three button suits when they're five foot nine. Like it's like, you shouldn't be wearing three button suits at standing at five foot nine. You're going to look shorter and things like right. that. So, right. um, so it's super important for, for listeners, for you guys listening to this right now is just, uh, pay attention to trends and know what is going to work for you and know what's not going to work for you. Because what Michael's talking about right now is with style, um, understanding what, fits, what styles, what colors all work best with your personality, your body type, your skin tone, your hair color, all these different aspects. You need to understand what comes together to complement you the best and work for you and your goals, right? So um, you don't want to go watch The Wolf of Wall Street and replicate what he wore in that movie because it looked good in that movie because that was in the 80s. So there are trends that change, but for the most part, just to give you a few tips here and Michael, you can jump in on this too, but like um, just paying attention to the fit, making sure that something fits you properly is the biggest thing that you really need to pay attention to making sure that your jackets don't have too much padding, jumping out, jumping out over your arms um, that your lapel widths are not too wide unless you have broader shoulders. If you have narrower shoulders, you shouldn't be wearing super wide lapels, things like that. Um, Just paying attention to all these different proportions is what you really need to do. And I've talked about this at length in another podcast episode. So I want to hear what Michael has to say about that. Yeah. And you're, and you're on the right track. And, and one thing that I tried to, to focus on or, or help with is, is giving guidelines because some individuals may think, okay, I have a broad shoulder, but maybe not really. So just an idea that can be valuable to some of the men and maybe the spouses or, or girlfriends that listen to your show is that, I see when you're having a shoulder that's 19 and, and, a, and a local tailor or uh, a, a department store, anyone could help, or even at my store at michaelferrera.com, you, we, we do measurements and so forth. But when you have a shoulder width that's between uh, 19 inches from edge to edge or less, it's it's easier for you to wear a, uh, a slim lapel or a more modern, trendier lapel. I think once you go beyond a 20 inch shoulders, so when you get 22 inch or 21 inch shoulders, most of the time you see these inside of uh, inside of athletes or football players or guys that are six eight and six nine, like The Rock, right? That's right, like The Rock. A slimmer lapel it actually takes away, you know, and it makes you look out of proportion. So yep. anytime your shoulder width from edge to edge is is 
is wider than 20 inches, it's better for you to go with more of a traditional or a wider lapel because then that shows style too. Right. There's certain things that individuals could do with a with a larger shoulder and a larger chest that some gentlemen can't do. And the wide collars are cool if your body's you know fit enough to to do it. Also, yeah. in, in regards to that uh, chest as well. So when you're reaching a 40, 44 and a 45 chest, probably a more traditional or a wider lapel is going to be better. Anything less than that, the less than a 44, is probably more effective to wearing a slimmer or a more uh, a more trim type of lapel for more style and fashion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so those those are kind of quick tips in my opinion in regard, and not even opinion, just fact and on on lapels and, and styles when it comes to body type and chest width. And, and this is important to bring up, and I bring this up to you guys because um, Michael and I have been through, I mean, Michael more in the fashion than I have necessarily when it comes to traditional training and traditional education, but we both have a very good understanding of proportion. Absolutely. Color, Absolutely. color theory. We, we understand design from a fun, fundamental point of view. Um, and the reason why we bring this stuff up is because this is super important, whether it's a website like I was formerly trained with, yeah. I, I know how to design a website. Well, Michael went to design school and, uh, learned tailoring for men. Um, but we still have all the fundamental principles Absolutely. there of design. Um, so when you hear uh, bloggers or, uh, you're going on Instagram and you're finding people talking about trends and what you should wear, uh, more often than not, than not, they're giving you trends blindly without understanding what your build is or what your body type is. So you have to really pay attention to, uh, you have to be self-aware and understand like what your skin tone is in your build and know those proportions so that you're not looking really goofy. Um, because like what Michael said, if you're, if you don't have a very big chest, if you're like a 38 inch chest and your shoulders are maybe 17 to 18 inches, then wide lapels are not going to be the best bet for you. Right. It's going to look like your suit is too big. That's right. That's so, right. So you want to stay away from that stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, so with with that stuff said, um, there was actually one particular review on Amazon that I read for the book, um, and I feel like it slightly foreshadowed what's happening right now with the Me Too movement and saying that men will learn how to be respectful towards women and also how women will learn to avoid Mr. Wrongs, things like that. How do you think this book will help prevent young men from committing any future wrongdoings to women? Yeah, that's that's great. And uh, and I like that question because it has opened a door for me to to be in a position to to coach and, and mentor and, and assist other young men in my community to to help them, you know, be be knowledgeable about some of the things that they should do, partly because maybe they they've never known or ever been trained for for whatever reason or another. But I think again, when we know better, we do better. You know, if you simply don't know, then you also don't know that it's wrong. And once you get the information and you have someone that's helping you and coaching you and guiding you to to get there in the right, 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 right way, then you can be more you can be more valuable to the people that you're engaging with and you can be a better person and a better gentleman. So I believe like that's the biggest key. As long as we have the information and, and with technology and social media and a little a little hesitant to say social media. I would just say technology as a whole because all social media is not necessarily good. We just have to learn how to navigate through the goods and the not so goods and take the information that that we can 
that we can apply to our life and implement them. So I would say technology. With the access of technology that we have now and the internet and the relationships that we can build with people, it's important for for young men to 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 use that information, use these types of books and and other books that exist that that can enhance them and improve their knowledge to go to a higher level and be better gentlemen as they're progressing in dating, business, or whatever other relationships they have inside of life. Like the bottom line here is, and when I was a young kid and and learning about dating and stuff like that. Um, tips that I got from people or the general consensus was is that you got to be kind of a douchebag to get with girls. And it's like, that's not true at all. It's not true. Um, not true. So, and, and, and for the women who are attracted to that, they will over time learn that that's not what they want. And so what you need to be is to quote Gary Vee, you got to be historically accurate. So when you are a young man, if you're a young guy listening to this right now, it doesn't matter what age actually don't right. be a douchebag. Like, you know, be respectful, be, be the type of guy that is, um, you're, you're positive, you're a good person, you have respect, you have uh, politeness, you are able to ask out a woman respectfully. But here's where guys get mixed up. They, they tend to feel like being positive and being overly respectful is going to land them in the friend zone or mm. land them in this weird gray area of being called the nice guy. Um, what guys need to understand is that you need to be forward, but you cannot be inappropriate, but you also need to be a little bit assertive and you need to be straightforward with what you want, right? So if you're asking a woman out, you can be respectful, you can be nice, but you also have to be very clear on what you want. So say, you know, I, I want to ask you out to dinner. We should go out sometime because I really like who you are. I like what you're about. I like the way you carry yourself and genuinely complimenting her on what you like about her. Right. Yep. And if she says no, no big deal. Right. We don't have to worry about that too much. And if she says yes, then you just want to date respectfully. So, right. um, Michael, let's, let's hear your two cents on that. Sure. Sure. And, and I feel, I feel like all the things you touch on there, Sean, it comes down to, to confidence and that's the biggest yeah. key. And I share in my book that amongst the cufflinks and, and watches and shoelaces and, and jewelry and everything else that we can accessorize ourselves with the greatest accessory we can ever give ourselves is confidence. Because if we have the coolest suit or the coolest shoes and you're not confident in what you're wearing, it doesn't matter. Yep. So you have to always, the last thing or even the first thing that you put on is confidence. And that's what women will be attracted to. And when you do it in a genuine, genuine demeanor and you're, you're clear on your, your direction and your goals and if your outcomes and intentions are are good, then those those relationships and, and engagements or dates or whatever else that it may be, those will come a lot easier because you're doing it out of a genuine place. And I and I, I made a note in regards to what you talked about and related to being the friend zone or the gray zone. And and it, it is a little bit of, of space to have to have to learn there. But at the end of the day, it's confidence, because if you're confident that the person that you're interested in, you want to get to know them. The key is that your confidence will allow you to believe that you can bring value to them as well. It's not just you winning by dating a pretty girl or the hottest girl or the, right. uh, the most popular person in the community or, or whatever it is. It's, it's a mutual game. It's you get to be out with a beautiful, respectful lady. But at the same time, you bring value to her. 
as a gentleman, yeah. she wants to be associated with you and knowing that you open the door for her, that you, you know, stand up when she leaves the table, if that's appropriate in the in the right environment, that you are actually well-mannered when you meet parents or friends or colleagues, because ladies want to talk about you. They want to go back and say, I went on a great date. I, I met the one. I met a guy that I think is really serious or whatever it may be. And they want the gentleman. They want the, the yeah. guy that's kind and, and, and sincere and, and charismatic and, and, and funny and, and charming. They want that. It's just knowing when to do it and be confident to do it without feeling like I'm going to be in a friend zone. And if I do too many nice things, she'll only think that I'm good enough to be a friend. It's being confident in your ability to know that you can do it and still be able to approach the situation should you want more. It's a win-win. It's not just you win by dating her. She also wins by having you in her life as a gentleman. So um, I'm engaged. You're married. Yeah. So tell me tell me the story of how you asked out your wife when you first met her. Oh, man, I get I get so excited when I get to talk about my beautiful <laughs> wife. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really... Uh, a genuine excitement anytime she comes to my mind and and i'm new, I'm newly married and 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 we'll, we'll be celebrating here in a couple of months here but man it was very clear the moment that i seen her i was like oh you know this is a borderline joke but i was like oh my gosh an angel and it was literally like that and my wife is a very very beautiful lady and and we met oddly enough at at, at a dark pitch black party, mutual friends, and, you know, not the place that you can, uh, that you can see all <laughs> the features of, of someone. So, uh, and, and I still joke with her today that, you know, sometimes in the dark, most, some people shine their brightest, you know, <laughs> and I joke with her and I still share that with her regularly today. But funny thing is we had, we have, I want to say hundreds, but we could say 100 because we had 100 people at our wedding. We have hundreds of mutual friends. And this is not a joke like, oh, yeah, you kind of know him. You kind of know him. No, like when we were putting our wedding list together, he's like, no, that's my friend. Like, no, that's my friend. <laughs> and it's like a genuine, like, and my friends knew her for about eight or nine years. And I knew my friends for eight or nine years, but we just didn't know each other. And when I when I first seen her, she actually, and she might might laugh if she hears me tell this, but she knew about me for about eight or nine years and she knew who I was. She would never say hello to me. She would never stop and or wave or smile or anything. And we would be in the same room, the same event, the same whatever else multiple times. And she would never just say hello or anything. And I, I, I just, I never seen her. Maybe it was, I was supposed to see her at the time that I did, but she never said anything, never said hello, never said hi. It was just her style. She's not the, she's not the one to go up and say hello and rightfully so. And, and if I would have seen her at the time that I did, so the first time that I genuinely saw her, I said, hello, there was no hesitation. I was like, this girl has to, you know, engages me in some capacity. I have to at least say hello. We exchanged contact and then we continued, uh, you know, from there. I met her like a Friday and then we went out maybe three days later. And then after that, I was like, man, I, I should, you know, evaluate a little bit more. And amongst her, our beauty and, and presence, it, she is a fantastic lady. So it's more than just that. 
And after I learned that there was more than just her beauty, I was I was all in. Yeah. And then I just continued to progress and, and grow that relationship. But a lot of the things that I talked about in my book, I'm very clear that they work. They've worked in, in previous relationships and you know, they, they work in me approaching and, and, and talking to my, my wife and growing our relationship and the things that I did to, I, I believe, get her to like me and, and vice versa. I still do them. You know, so it's important to, you know, even though it's married, we still have date nights, you know, not just we're married. So what? Like, even though I see her every day, we still go on dates. We still have fun. We still have surprises. When I travel, I still flirt with her and I send text messages. So I, it's, 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 it's fun and you have to do and continue to do those things that you were doing when dating while you're married to continue that excitement, that love and that enjoyment that you have to, to get there. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's like yours is a, you have a really great story and I have a good story too. Um, I had met my fiance online. Yeah. We, we did the whole online dating thing. Um, she's a doctor, so she's a catch. Right. She's, she's not just beautiful, but she's caring. She's kind. She's sweet. She's, uh, got an amazing career. She, she helps people. Um, and she's kind of like your lady where she's not going to go out of her way or right. come say hi or things like that. She's yeah. like, she didn't message me. I messaged her. Um, so I reached out to her. I started having a conversation with her and we were talking for at least a week, maybe a week and a half. Um, so it was on the phone. It was also online. And I finally, uh, I asked her out, and um, she had dodged it. She'd kind of like gave me a yes, kind of a no. So I wasn't sure what was going on with that. But I kind of was like, all right, well, I'm not going to pressure her to go out with me or whatever. So I'll just keep it casual right now, keep mm-hmm. it chill and things like that. We had never met yet and uh, only talked online. And I asked her out a couple more times um, over the course of another maybe week, something like that. And, uh, by the third time, I guess it was third times the charm. I, yeah. I asked her out and she, do- she dodged again, but this time I was like, you know what? Hey, if you don't want to go out with me, it's cool. Just let me know. Like hey, I'm not trying to chase you. you for, for a long time. And that's, that's what got her to go out with me. Um, she's like, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Let's go out this, this time, this day or whatever. So uh, we went out, we had an amazing first date. It was incredible. Awesome. She's just gorgeous. Amazing, she's, man. uh, beyond beautiful. Uh, and, uh, so we started dating, we moved in together and, um, we've been dating ever since we're coming up on our fourth anniversary of being together, uh, next month. So, yeah. and I proposed on our third year anniversary. So that way she wouldn't suspect that I was going <laughs> to propose to her. Um, that's cool, man. No, that's, that's, a, that's a really cool story. I think that, I think that's a great way for you to share, you know, the importance of, of confidence and, and boldness, you know, confidence does not have to be limited to in person or, you know, being able to do that and know that mutual benefit, you know, it's a win-win. It's not a, I get to date her. It's a, you know, I, I bring value to the table. So, you know, yo, or it's interested or not. And that's cool. If you're not, at least I know, you know, yeah, and then I can exactly. move on. But I think, I think by you doing that, that that shows your confidence, your boldness, and your willingness to take that leap to to go to another level or next level. That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. So I mean, so guys, like, there's challenges that you're going to encounter, uh, but as uh, Les Brown would say, uh, a setback is only a buildup for a comeback. Mm. And um, 
for any challenge that you encounter, there's always a way to go overcome it and, and get better at it. So if you land in the friend zone with a girl, that she's not the only one that you'll encounter that might put you in the friend zone. She might, the next girl might be the one, the one who put you in the friend zone the first, in the first place might be the one. So there's always a way to, to proceed further and, and be successful in what you want. So, um, I wanted to touch on my next topic here and then we'll, uh, I have two more things that I want to touch on with you, Michael. Um, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. The next thing that I wanted to talk about in regards to your book and how we can translate this to society right now, like I want to touch on the topic of, uh, of other black men in America. Um, and I feel like this is important to consider because I've, I've actually been asked before what my opinion is about young black men's images. Um, and I have an opinion to share, but I'd like to hear you hear yours. So, um, you know, as a positive, powerful and successful African-American man yourself, how do you feel that your image has impacted your life and your career? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I like that you asked that question because it's important to know that whatever nationality that we are, we can be valuable to other people. And specifically as African-Americans, we do have to embrace, you know, uh, things that come to us and the challenges that may be, you know, stereotypically assigned to us as African-Americans and, and break those walls and challenge those walls, either climb them or go through them. And I was very clear on that, you know, in my entrepreneurship endeavors or my fashion endeavors or whatever it may be. I think it's important that, as, as I mentioned before, like if we know better, we do better. If we have better examples, we can be better people. If we get more information, we can use that information to be more valuable. If we have more resources, we can, you know, use them to our advantage. And I'm very clear on that. So as African-American man, uh, being an entrepreneur for, this is my third company and some other ideas that I have, it's, it's important to know that I've had people that came before me and, and, and mentors and that may have, some of them have came organically, but some of them may have came simply by giving. Some of my, my current mentoring relationships that I still have to this day came because I was willing to serve in the community and give back to some, some youth programs or speaking at, at a local high school or elementary school or doing uh, a mentorship with, with minority and African-American students. And by doing that, because there are other men that are like me that want to coach and want to give back, I was in a position to learn from them. You know, I was able to learn from gentlemen that are older than me sometimes uh, two times my, my age or, or 10 times, or excuse me, or 10 years older than I am, where I can learn from the experience they have. If they're, you know, 10 or 15 years older than me, they've experienced things that I haven't. Marriage, business, uh, uh, maybe retirement or whatever it is. And by engaging and connecting with people that are like-minded and even more advanced than you are, you get to learn and just take those pieces and nuggets from their lives from their experiences that maybe I don't have to go through. And I do the same to where some of the challenges that I've had in business and in, in starting and in, in starting without capital or, or, or being told that never get loans or, or never borrow money, but teaching young men, you know, sometimes African-Americans always taught that, that loans are bad and debt is wrong and debt is negative. And that has some, some good things to it. But at the same time, debt is not always a, a negative if you, if you use it for your advantage. And the only way you know that is if you're taught. Right. And if you're always taught that debt is bad and, and negative, and, then you will never get a business loan. 
because loan is a form of debt. And maybe that business loan could allow you to go to another level or expand your business faster or whatever it may be. So those experiences that I went through, maybe I can coach uh, someone else or, or another African-American young man that has a business idea in fashion or, or finance or whatever else it may be that understand it, not eliminate it because your parents or your grandparents or somebody else told you it's always wrong because maybe they're wrong, you know, and maybe they're wrong because they were told the same thing from somebody else and they were told the same thing from somebody else. So it's about expanding our knowledge. And if we can, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of going on a variety of different places here because I believe we can be mentors to other people. But in that process, as we teach other people, we could also learn more ourselves or we can learn from other people throughout that process that we can, as I mentioned before, continue this circle of of bringing value to one another as human beings and, you know, African-Americans and people, quite frankly, in this world today. That's great. I, I really like that. What role did your appearance play in your successes or other challenges? Like your actual image, right? Thinking about image consulting, thinking about, you know, your fashion and your style. Like, Got it. And I believe my, my appearance, it, it allows me to, to believe bigger. And and you're a big fan of, of Gary Vee, uh, such as I am. And that's one of the things that he talks about is, you know, making your brand bigger or, your, or believing your company bigger. And and I believe like as an African-American man, sometimes we're put in a position where we already start, you know, unfortunately, you know, respectfully to, to others. But we start less. You know, we may not have had, you know, parents or grandparents that are in positions to to give us the resources, the relationships or whatever other opportunities that may come, we may not have them. So I have used my my culture, my abilities as an African-American man and challenged them. Like that's a challenge. Like because I have whatever stereotypical things have been listed on me, how can I forget about them, know that they're there and that everyone thinks about me that way? How can I prove everybody wrong? Or how can I be so much better that other people have to acknowledge me? And one thing that I live by is, is be so great that you have to be noticed. And not noticed for notoriety or, or glorification, but be noticed so that you can bring value. Because if people notice that you're there as an African-American man, then you can show your, your worth, your value that you can, can bring to others. So I, I use it as a as a, okay, you might have this in your mind of me. You might have this uh, uh, perception or idea. How can I know that you have it and prove you wrong? How can I be better than what you expect? So, and I, I think that's important for young African-American men to, to understand as well. It's like, use all of you to your advantage when the appropriate time is and relate to the people that are around us to allow us to propel to higher levels, in my opinion. So, um, with with your opinion on that, because my, my thought was when I was asked that question of, of how I feel about it, um, I, my mind immediately went to hip hop. So a lot of, a lot of hip hop artists will dress a certain way because that's hip hop to them. Right. Mm. Um, and if there are people who are wearing something that is not properly communicating what they want to achieve for themselves, like, uh, like how, how would you communicate to them that they need to change their style if in some ways? And Really, it's, it's understanding one industry and, and where you want to go. 
And some people may have the idea of, of being in, in hip hop or music or entertainment industry. And sometimes it's, it's a little more accepted in that capacity. It's important to know that the individuals that, that, that we have, uh, CEO seats and, and, and vice presidents and president seats, there, there's, a, there's unfortunately, you know, and that is changing in my opinion when we see the successes of, of, of Facebook and CEOs that wear jeans and T-shirts. I think that's changing. But it's important to make sure that we're, we're able to adapt and, and meet, you know, what, what people may, may expect and what they may anticipate or want to see. But it's important for us to know what those things are and make sure we keep our personal style in line with that. So it's okay to, to wear hip-hop clothing, but it's important to know how and when to do it. You know, it's important to know, like, when your jeans should be a little bit more tapered and a little bit more, more fit. And I think the best way to go about that is, is having uh, individuals, not necessarily only in fashion, but fashion is important, but having individuals that can coach and mentor you to share, this is probably more appropriate for this situation. This type of, of, of jeans or suit or tie is more appropriate for this situation. Because I, I still wear, I still wear uh, jeans regularly. I still... Where wear no belt at times. And it's not to say in a sagging form, but I know what's comfortable for me. I still wear elongated tees and sometimes a, a baggier tee. So, but it's understanding what's comfortable and understanding what environment that you're engaging in. So I think that's the key. Once you have that opportunity to learn from a mentor or a coach on what is the appropriate thing to do in a certain environment, that's where I think you can go to a higher level. And individuals like yourself, Sean, and myself, that, that can allow questions and, and a lot of these things we can simply answer and help people via phone or email or Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, just by communicating. Because again, our information that we have is not for us to be glorified and put on a pedestal. It's for us to share with other people to make other people better. And specifically African Americans in my my opinion and in, and in my role, I'm able to to relate. I've come from that background. I've come from wearing uh, ba baggy jeans and and you know sneakers and, and tennis shoes and the list goes on of of t-shirts and hats and and backwards hats and is there's a time and a place for those things and you have to understand what your personal style is and how to use it in the appropriate setting to accomplish your goal and objective right 100 percent agree with that i i it's it's good to hear that from another person i mean that's that's our job right as image consultants because you do the same thing as i do um in addition to your clothing design. Um, so, so for people who are listening right now, make sure that you are dressing for the occasion. Um, you can't walk into a board meeting. If you're trying to pitch an idea for a business to, to people wearing like baggy clothes and, you know, t-shirts and stuff like that. If you got credibility to back it up, what you're talking about on the internet or whatever, it might make it a little bit easier, but nonetheless, you should still dress for, for the occasion. So, um, that's, that's the insight there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's key in regards to the environment, because if, if it is music, if it is hip hop, you have to understand like, okay, it's okay for this environment. But I feel like, you know, when you're, when you're presenting yourself in the best situation in a, in a better light than what is the norm, you'll always be ahead. You know, if the norm is uh, baggy jeans and, and sneakers, that that's fine. But if you're wearing uh, a tailored denim and dress shoes, you're better. You know, so yeah. if you're going into that environment dressed a higher level or better than the norm is, 
you're putting yourself in a better situation. So, right. and we hear the term of dress for success. My, my term is dress for opportunities, because if you put yourself in a position where you're dressed better than what people expect, or you expect baggy jeans and, and sneakers and, and t-shirts, if you dress at a higher level, you're putting yourself in a better situation. So I always encourage yeah. people that go higher than what the norm is. Yeah. I always tell the same kind of thing. It was like it, be at least one step above what everybody else is wearing sure. just so that yeah. you can, it's because it's okay to be the best dressed person in the room. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask this last question and then we'll wrap things up. So uh, with your fashion design, I want to know about the process and then like why garments can be so expensive because I know a lot of guys stay away from certain stuff because it's too expensive and they opt for a more of a cheaper thing. I have my take on it, but I want to hear what you have to say about the, about your process as a designer, as well as why prices can get high. Sure. Sure. And I love this in, in fashion could go on forever. So I'll, I'll make sure that I keep it in a respectful time for, for everybody. Yeah. But in my process, when we began at Michael Ferreira Custom Clothing, it's more on the experience and the opportunity to learn and the consulting and coaching uh, rather than just selling of clothes. Um, there are, you know, suit designers in, in stores that simply sell and individuals have their role and their place in the in the fashion industry. My, my job as a as a fashion designer and a consultant is to educate and coach people on why. You know, what colors would be best for their body, their skin tone, their height and also their industry. There are certain colors that are better for finance and there's there's certain colors that are better for for real estate. And there are certain colors that are better for fashion or, or art. And a lot of those things I talk about on my blog and, and my, my Instagram page and my Facebook uh, on a regular basis. But, for example, uh, why a blue suit? You know, why rather than black? And one of the biggest thing is I share with individuals, blue is more versatile. And depending on where you're going and what environment that you're in, a blue can sometimes cross over to being a really elegant piece or a casual piece without a tie and, and dress shoe. So it's, it's being strategic in the colors that we're using. Same thing inside of shirts like finance and, and, and banking. A lot of times the shirts and colors that we wear are very important. You know, white shirts give an image of transparency. Blue shirts give an Im image of, 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 of classic and traditional. But what happens when you do a lavender or a light color shirt? That gives the presence of out-of-the-box thinking and a little bit of creativity inside of the finance world. But there's, there's fine lines of, of what's too, too fun and what's appropriate for the industry. And those are the types of things that I start out with. From there, once I understand what the person wants, then I kind of guide them on, 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 on what types of fabrics are, would fit best for them. And then we narrow down. Uh, to whatever suits and, and fabrics are the right fit. After that, the third process is I actually go into measurements. I'll take about 55 different body measurements from the foot all the way to the top of the head and shoulders um, so that we can make a perfect fit on suits and, and ties and, and shirts or whatever it is that it may be. And then finally, we get into the design aspect. Once I know the body measurements, we get into the lapel style, the lapel width, the number of buttons in the front, the number of buttons on the sleeves, the types of pockets. And many times uh, we don't think about these things because it's the norm. You go to a department store, you look at the suits that they have, and you choose from what they have. But the pockets and buttons and lapels 
we may not think of those things, but but as a designer, those are the type of things that I enjoy because I get to help the person create the best image possible because there's no limits. You know, there's it's really okay. You could buy a standard off the rack suit with a notch lapel, but this probably would be better for your situation, your reading, and your body type. So the design aspect is is the fourth piece, and the final is design the cut and sew. Actually, since I went to fashion school, I, I do know how to uh, cut, sew, make pattern and all the above. But I do have tailors that have been with me for a number of years that allow me to just focus on the design and the relationship side of the client. And from there, we, we allow maybe about 40, 45 days for delivery. Uh, one of the unique things that we offer at Michael Ferreira Custom is, you know, you have alterations forever. So should you gain weight, lose weight, you come by or mail it to us we do all the alterations complimentary so we really like to engage and keep the experience and relationship with the client for for forever really and uh, we want to service even when it's not with us uh, you can call us email us you have questions ideas you're buying gym shorts or sweatpants maybe there's a way that we can help with the overall wardrobe so so that's that's really our process. And the second part of your question you asked was related to yeah, like the pricing of the suit, right? Like what, like the time and effort it takes to design a suit on paper and then bring it to a wearable product. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's part of the reason why I touched on my uh, my my craft and trading uh, training at, at LA Trade Tech with uh, with Doctor Torter. That's what I call him. His name is Mister Torter, but I call him Doctor Torter because. Excuse me, because I feel like as a tailor, you really are a doctor, you know, and you're doctoring up these pieces of garments to fit someone else perfectly. You're cutting, you're really, you're cutting, you're sewing, you know, you're putting things back together to make it look beautiful. And uh, when I went to fashion school, I, I literally learned the ins and outs of how a pant is made, how a jacket is made. And once I learned that, even though I was starting my fashion career and I was wearing nice clothes, I understood how to dress in imagery. I was much more clear on why clothing can be expensive because there's a lot of time and effort that goes into cutting and, and making and, you know, revamping and trimming into a, a pair of pants, into a, a jacket that blew me away. And I was like, I understand why. Uh, the second reason why, you know, suits can be be pricey at times is, yes, quite frankly, you do pray for integrity of brands, you know, brands that have been existing for 100 years and some brands that are 150 or more. They, they've built they've built a legacy and something that you can trust. You know, when you buy a certain type of fabric or from a, a fabric mill, like like a Laura Piano or a Holland Sherry, like, you know, you're going to get a fantastic fabric because that's what they do. That's what they specialize in. And this this tenure of 100 plus years of, of service and integrity of creating good wool and good fabrics and and taking care of the sheep and factoring it and shipping it and there's so many pieces that go into that so yes you do pay for the brand so that's how price can get up at, at time and, and 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 lastly it's really the tailor and my tailors that i work with we have my, my tailors currently have been doing their craft for over 30 years so it's very clear on what they're doing you know they understand the bodies the shoulders the, the slopings and the archings of a men's body and chest so the manufacturer and the tailoring. And when you have a tailor that's been doing this, that understands that what they're what they're doing and specializing in, 
yes, you are paying again for that time and value that comes to it. And it's just an awesome experience. When I once I knew and understood what goes into cutting and sewing and drawing and making a pattern that eventually produce a result. When I see large brands, um, uh, what could be good examples? Uh, the, the the big brands that we're all familiar with, uh, you know, Ralph Lauren, uh, Hugo Boss, big brands. It, it doesn't, it stops shaking me. It doesn't shake me anymore. When you see a, a jacket that's 800 or $900, you're one, you're paying for the brand, two, you're paying for the fabric, three, you're paying for the service and the manufacturing. So it, it just comes down to whether you're willing to or not. I absolutely agree that you can get great clothing that is not expensive. There's other, other places that, that offer suits that allow you to be looking great at a, at a reasonable or a lower cost. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. I, I, I wrote in my book that you do not need custom clothes to look good. And I'm very clear on that. There's nothing wrong with buying off of the rack suits if that's the appropriate time. I encourage people to eventually get to custom suits because it's just, it's a reward to yourself. It's a reward to say, I'm worth this. You know, I'm worth my own brand and my own image and my own style. And I could do it by going custom and building a relationship with a custom clothier and, and fostering that relationship to enhance my image to another level. Right. So you don't need it. But I always encourage it to to get there. And throughout that process, I think the biggest piece is having a good tailor. And if you have a, a tailor, it may be trying one or two people out or even three or four. But the biggest thing is a relationship, a tailor that you know that will understand your body, understand the things that you like and can do work for you in a timely and efficient manner. That's that's the biggest key prior to custom clothing, having a strong relationship with a tailor, because a good tailor can make a $200 suit look like an $800 suit or more. So the tailor and the relationship, emphasis on the relationship, relationship, relationship with the tailor that can allow your image to go to a higher level, regardless of what type of suit you're wearing. Right. Cool. Awesome, man. Where people can find you online? Where can they interact with you? Uh, what social media sites are the best for you? Like, which ones do you interact with people the most on? And what would be your username? Michael, last name F E R R E R A. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of these places. But the best place is michaelferrera.com. Maybe you have a simple question that you can tweet me or message me on Instagram or email me. Happy to provide, happy to help. And I think. That's one of the biggest keys in business. We want to be valuable and not necessarily only selling. Yes, we do sell product. Yes, we do offer great products to the community and to the world. But we also provide valuable information that we're able to help. And uh, so I wanted to acknowledge you for all the work that you've been doing. Uh, I think uh, based on the content that I've seen on YouTube and um, some of the other things and and having conversations with you, I, I just want to acknowledge you for your uh, for your grace and your ability to communicate with people and share your time and be be respectful of, of people, uh, being able to give back in a way that I take great pride in, in doing for myself too, to other people. So it's good to find other like-minded individuals like yourself um, who want to serve and be a guiding light for, for individuals, whether it's men or, or women, and um, just really being a good source of inspiration for other people. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Oh, man, I appreciate it coming from you, man. It means a lot and because I know the work that you do, and I see your consistency and discipline and the growth that you have in your in your businesses. That, that's really cool, man. So thank you so much. Appreciate 
appreciate that. Um, all right. So uh, again, the perfect gentleman's pocket guide, modern secrets to etiquette, style, and charming charisma. Go get Michael Ferreira's book. It's on Amazon and it's available in Kindle and paperback formats. Go get it. Buy this book. You deserve this for yourself. Read it uh, and keep in contact with Michael. Uh, he's a really great dude, super friendly. You can always reach out to him for a question. Um, so, Michael, thank you so much for joining the show today. I appreciate it. appreciate your time. We went a little bit over, but um, thank you so much for our being on here. And uh, I look forward to the next one, man. Sean, thanks again, brother. And we'll show, I'm sure I'll see you again soon. Awesome. Have a good one, man. Peace. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Inspiration Extraordinary Gentleman podcast. If you enjoyed the content, give it a like, subscribe, and if you know someone who needs to hear this or wants to hear this, share it with them. Don't hold back. Let them hear it. And if you have any questions for me or my guest, we'd love to answer those questions for you. So shoot me a tweet, DM me on Instagram, leave a comment below on YouTube, or find me on Facebook. If you have Anchor FM, you can message me on my station. The username is at New Inspiration, N-U-I-N-S-P-I-R-A-T-I-O-N. And as always, make the rest of today extraordinary, gentlemen.